our Lord Emmanuel, God with us. We do look forward to that second advent that they'll describe when he will return. If that would happen on Christmas Day, and we don't know for sure what the date was that Christ was born, my guess would be, I hope this doesn't mess with your holiday season, but I think it would be spring sometime. Um, but we just don't know. But if he came today, we'd certainly not argue with that. That would be wonderful. Well, it just seemed appropriate. I was thinking through what to preach a while back. And I have actually not preached this passage very often. I think because it's so well known to us that I often uh, go to other passages uh, because we can almost recite this verbatim. Almost, maybe. Uh, But it seemed uh, certainly appropriate today on Christmas Day to just go back to Luke chapter 2 and go through what we call the Christmas story today. But Christmas came because Jesus came. So we're going to celebrate that this morning. And this is one of those passages today I'm just going to read and we're going to teach from the King James Version because it's just the one that, that we know the best. And probably, even if I were to do it in another version, I would recite it just because it's so ingrained in my memory through the King James English. So why mess with my head like that? (laughs) We're just going to go right to the King James and enjoy this together. And as we talked about last week in Galatians, in God's fullness of time, Jesus came. And Luke, Dr. Luke gives us the details of what happened. The fullness of time, God's plan had come in a very specific moment in history. Jesus, the Savior, was born. And so Luke gives us the details of when in history. Now, he doesn't give us the date specifically, but the details when the event transpired. And folks, this is important because one of the things that uh, our friend Luke does for us here is he makes it clear this was an actual event. How many um, religions and churches today that um, pay homage, some sort of false homage to Christ, look at Jesus as some sort of fable or some sort of, um, oh, just some sort of inspirational story or legend. And yet, folks, a legend doesn't have this kind of detail. If you ever read any of Aesop's fables or anything like that, any fairy tales, uh, they don't give you specific places. They don't give you specific times. They don't say, in the reign of King so-and-so at this particular time, Snow White did this or whatever. No, they're, they're legends, they're fables, okay? They're not meant to be taken seriously. But Luke says this is meant to be taken seriously, so here's what happened around it. The birth of the Savior is totally factual, and it gives us places and points in history where actual rulers govern the land. Luke the doctor is a very good historian, and his intent is to present to us the fact these events really did take place. The God of heaven truly became a babe in the manger. Marvelous, wondrous thought bring salvation to mankind. The birth of the Savior 
we'll look at this morning. Father, what a blessing and privilege it is to read your word and see these well, well known verses and to marvel again. Help us to have new eyes to see this. We get so used to these passages, but we, we pray that the Holy Spirit will do a work in our hearts and help us again to just glory in the glory of the incarnation, the first advent, the coming of Christ for the first time. The Lord, let us marvel at the love of Christ for us, that he would be willing to do this, this thing for us at this time. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The birth of the Savior, Luke 2, 1 through 20, and the first half of this passage, we'll see the events of the Savior's birth took place in God's timing. They really did actually take place. And even the government's dictates were a part of God's plan. We are frustrated and get irritated at many of the things that are become dictates in our government today. Many things that really are anti-biblical, anti-God. And we can say in the midst of, uh, of a lot of these policies and things that are being considered or being pushed through, how can this happen? This isn't right. And it's we need to be reminded, even in the Christmas story, that God is in control of all events, of all even very wicked rulers in these Caesars of this Roman government. These were wicked men for the most part. They were effective. And this in particular, um, Caesar Augustus, was a very effective uh, Roman emperor. They were wicked men doing wicked things, and yet God's purposes would stand. He was in control. The king's heart, the emperor's heart, and today the president's heart is in the hand of the Lord. God is in control of all of these things. And so verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it came to pass in God's timing, the fullness of time in those days, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Well, really, that has the idea of being registered. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone, into his own city. The Roman government, merely a tool in the hands of God to accomplish his purposes. And, of course, what was his purpose in the midst of all this? To send his son to be born among mankind, provide salvation for them. Here's the specifics. Caesar Augustus was known as Octavian, not in our passage, but in history. He was a Roman emperor, the ruler of the world at this specific point in history. This was the man that had the power over it all at this time. A little bit of background on him. He was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. Remember the prominent Roman emperor, Shakespeare and all that, that was assassinated in 44 B.C.? Um, he had adopted this man, Caesar Augustus, who was known as Octavian at that time, as his son. And after he was assassinated, Octavian became one of three emperors that ruled on a board of um, a tritinium or something of that nature that it's referred to as. Three emperors ruling at once. Well, you can imagine that was only successful for a limited amount of time with the egos of these guys. And that broke down very quickly. 
Um, one of them fell from power, and the other one, you might remember him, Antony, who eventually uh, met Cleopatra, and they rebelled against Octavian, and they fell before him and ended their own lives. Civil war broke out. Octavian was finally recognized as the full emperor by the Roman Senate in 27 BC and was bestowed with the title of Augustus, just like we have in scripture here. That meant exalted or venerable one. Remember, these emperors were, um, they were a part of their own false worship cult, an emperor worship, where these were worshipped as God themselves, as deity. And so Caesar Augustus would have taken that on himself, but he is merely a pawn in the hand of the one true God. And he would be used for a limited time, and then God would be done with him, and he would fade off the scene. But he was an extraordinary, effective leader. Um, he ushered in, he was the one under which the Pax Romana, the great period of peace and stability in Rome, was ushered in. This man accomplished a number of great things. He was known for his organizing skills, and he did conduct numerous censuses, And these were used as registrations for tax purposes. So when we hear in verse 1 that all the world should be taxed, this is the idea of a census that was taken so that you can have people's information all together so that it's easier to have them registered. It's easier to put a tax burden on them. Not something that these people enjoyed by any means, but it was something that God was going to use. And this particular census would carry along a particular man named Joseph and his betrothed wife to his hometown of Bethlehem. But we get ahead of ourselves here. Verse 2, this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Now, this man, depending on your translation in the King James of Cyrenius, in most other translations, it starts with a Q, Quirinius, in many modern translations. Well, is that two different guys? Did the translations get things messed up? Oh, no, they didn't. This is just a translation decision. Basically, uh, many of the modern uh, translations follow an actual earlier Latin tradition of referring to um, this man, who in the Greek actually is Kurenios, okay? The Latin way to describe or to um, say his name is Quirinius, and many of the modern translations follow that today. The King James translators decided to try to do their best to follow the original Greek in the English of their time. Maybe the K wasn't pronounced as a K, but as a C, so they came up with Cyrenius. He is close to the Greek as they could. Regardless, it's the same guy. And really, we'll go with Quirinius here, uh, because that's a little closer to the actual Greek in some ways. And he was the governor over the region of Syria in A.D. 6 through 7. Isn't all this fascinating? Well, there is a problem with that. A.D. 6 through 7, if you know anything about the actual date of the birth of Christ, it's considered to be in 4 B.C. Well, wait. He was born before the A.D. started, and Quirinius was ruling in 6 through 7 A.D. We've got a discrepancy here. Well, as you can imagine, we, we go by faith, first of all, that there's more to this than what we understand. But from history, 
Uh, we've been able, to, even some um, historical relics from archaeology that does provide some help for us, there is evidence that this man was governor twice, and the first time during the birth of Christ. And that takes care of that discrepancy nicely. The policy then that he set up under the permission of Caesar Augustus was that everyone returned to their homeland, their hometown for the census. Now, this was unusual for a census, but not unheard of. Other lands had done this, and it seems as if they followed after this for this, uh, this particular census as well. All of this dictates in government rules and even the burden of taxes that we, we still groan under today. Folks, God was in control of all of this. And in his timing, Joseph would come to his hometown of Bethlehem, verse 4. And we're also going to see that God's servant struggles were a part of God's plan. This wasn't an easy trip. And it wasn't one I'm sure that they look forward to, but they had to do it. And so Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Joseph, leaving the region of Galilee, traveled south to the region of Judea, traveling from a real town of Nazareth to a real town called Bethlehem, the house of bread. These are things, again, this is no fable. This is no legend. Specific places that we can still find today, this happened. Why did he have to go to Bethlehem? Because he was a descendant of David. And folks, isn't that the important distinction to make? Even as we've talked recently about the Davidic covenant, Jesus had to be from the line of David or he wouldn't be legitimate. And Luke assures us that, oh yes, he is legitimate. Joseph is from the line of David, a descendant. And this will fulfill, as a grand fulfillment of the Davidic covenant is about to take place, this will all fit in and be a part of that. His wife, well, his betrothed, accompanied him. That meant that they were considered married, even without the consummation, but she was with child. Then how can that be? Because... The promise that God had made through Gabriel, folks, really did take place. The Holy Spirit caused Mary to be pregnant, and she is great with child. And everything that God has said that he's going to do is taking place. It was a real physical pregnancy. She was pregnant as they traveled all of that way. That had to be uncomfortable, but she was willing to do it. And so it was while they were there. The days were accomplished that she should be delivered or that she should give birth. Again, Luke is reminding us every step of this. God, this is part of God's plan. You could guarantee that this was going to happen. No surprise here. So she had her first child, not from Joseph, but from the Holy Spirit. Remarkable. And she birthed him. Then, again, an uncomfortable situation. God's people in not comfortable, helpful situation, but struggling, going through great difficulty in this. And she wraps him in swaddling clothes, verse 7, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. That manger, as you know, was an animal's feeding trough. I'm sure she cleaned it out the best that she could. Tried to make, there was no antibacterial handy wipes back 
but I'm sure she did the best to clean it out. The swaddling clothes, yes, they were uh, straps or, or strips of cloth that were used for burial, but these also were commonly used to wrap small children so that they didn't flounder their arms all over the place and everything, but it kept them close together and it protected them. Mary did everything she could to take care of her baby because they had an interesting situation. There was no room for them in the end. Don't think of this, if you've ever thought of this in a situation. And a lot of times with the children's Christmas programs, we have the innkeeper, right? And the kids, the Joseph and the Mary, and holding the little baby doll, and the innkeeper comes out and says, I'm sorry, there's no room. Well, that's a little fancy. Actually, there's no innkeeper mentioned at all, right? Really here, don't think of this inn as a modern hotel with managers in attendance, you know, like on Marriott. You go into the desk, sorry, we're having rooms left. It's too bad. This was really not that at all. The Greek word here actually describes a type of public house or private two-story residence with a lower room where animals were kept. Another possibility is a separate cave beyond the residence. But this wasn't a, an official inn of any circumstance, but a place where lots of people would get together to stay, or maybe possibly a relative or somebody they knew, a house that they were hoping to stay at. I have still not been to the Holy Land, but I've been to, I have many friends that have, have traveled to Israel. And I've been told that there are still um, situations and houses of this type near Bethlehem, this, I think is being described here, where there were two sections. There was an upper section where everybody lived and a lower section beneath that, kind of like the animal garage, so to speak, where the animals were kept. And it's very possible that that's where Mary and Joseph had to stay. No room on the top level, so they have to stay underneath with the animals. Not the best, most comfortable situation, but Mary made the best of it. Isn't it true that as we think of that and picture Mary and Joseph, Mary delivering the baby, and then in a holding area with equipment and animals in a barn, could a greater distinction be made from the glory of heaven, come down to earth in these circumstances. Marvelous what Jesus was willing to do folks, for us. Well, those are the events of the Savior's birth. But the proclamation of the Savior's birth took place in God's timing as well. Heavenly messengers proclaimed his birth in verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. You know what that really means in good King James English, folks? They were terrified. They were filled with great fear. Can you imagine? They think through um, what they had to experience. And who are these first recipients of this great news? I mean, the event of the birth of the king took place. Now it's time to proclaim this great birth. Shouldn't some sort of famous statesman or politician or the emperor himself be let known? Herod would eventually find out, probably almost two years after the fact. Who is God going to let know first to proclaim the news? Well, he talks to shepherds. He proclaims it to shepherds. 
And some have described shepherds as despised figures that people kind of looked down upon and that God shown his gave his message to the most despised in the culture. I really think that's a little off point there because really shepherds at this point were respected workmen who were recognized for their faithfulness and care of livestock. I think there was a lot of despising going on with these men. People respected them. Even in the Old Testament, good leaders were referred to as good shepherds, right? I think the picture here is that these men are not the most important people in society as far as politics and fame and all of this. They're just the everyday common man, common woman, not pompous or self-important. And it was these common folks that God chose to first announce the coming of his son. It was surprising, though, right? Notice particularly that a single angel appears first. Could you imagine if in the dark of night, I don't know if there was a full moon or stars were bright or whatever, but I'm sure it was pretty dark out there in the fields as they're watching and their eyes were accustomed to the dark. Can you imagine a multitude of the heavenly hosts all of a sudden all appearing at once? I mean, they would have just, they would have freaked out. They would have fainted. Uh, it might have scared them so much. Some might have had heart conditions. It would have been a very difficult thing. No, he started out with one to kind of get them ready. And even that one angel in the midst of the darkness, shining with the glory of the Lord, utterly terrifies these men. They were filled with great fear. I know we've had some difficult weather recently, especially when it's raining and it's foggy. You know, if you're trying to drive, I've talked with many of you. One of the most disconcerting things some of these newer vehicles have these bright beaming lights that just like blind you almost as you're trying to you're trying to see through the fog and see through the rain and all of a sudden this blinding light comes at you and it's unnerving and it's almost dangerous and you try to follow along the, the sideline along the side so that you don't veer off or, or veer toward that vehicle it's very difficult when you're in the dark to all of a sudden hear a great light, or to see, excuse me, a great light. It's very disconcerting. And certainly these shepherds were amazed out of their minds at this appearance of this one angel. And so he needs to calm them right away. And he does that. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. He says, I have good news. There's no reason to fear. Something wondrous has just occurred, and I have been sent to tell you about it. That uh, word for good tidings of great joy is the word that, that has the idea of proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the gospel, the good news. And he says, I have good news to proclaim that will bring you great joy, not great fear. So calm yourselves, men. And let me tell you more about it. The good news of the birth of the Savior, the descendant of David expected since the covenant God made with David, the Messiah, the Christ. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, just as God said. Remember all the way back in Micah? No surprise here which is Christ the Lord. Notice those three descriptions. He is a Savior. He will come to save his people from their sin. 
from the effects from the wages of sin. He will save them from eternal death. But he's also the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament has proclaimed and promised for hundreds of years. And the angel says to these shepherds, these common everyday men, he is here. But then he also says he is a Lord. And that is very significant because the Lord is the one that deserves obedience and worship. He says, the one has come that deserves your attention and your respect and your worship. He is your Lord. And I don't know what these shepherds at this point expected to find this baby, but this had to be a surprise to them. You know, I'm sure Mary's still trying, as we can see later on, still trying to work all this out. These shepherds, the same thing. But here's the sign. This sign, this shall be a sign unto you. What's the sign? The uh, fabulous entourage, heavenly choir. Well, they'll get to hear heavenly choir in just a minute. What's the regal sign that's going to announce this birth of this king? Well, he's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feeding trough. Humble beginnings for sure. And yet this is the sign of the king that they need to look for. Sign is very humble nature. Wrapped and helpless. Shooing the animals away from the trough. Where he is made comfortable. And then at that moment, with that understanding, then the sky lights up even further. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. That just means a lot. A lot of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. And many translations say among those with whom he is pleased. And this heavenly choir fills the skies and gives worship to God and praise Praise that his plan is coming into fruition, just like God um, had said to his people. Praise that he has brought this Savior into existence and that he will bring peace to his own people. Here is the goodwill that describes God's pleasure shown to those who are his own. These shepherds are the first ones that get to hear about it. So whatever translation uh, you have here, the idea is God's will and his sovereignty is being shown to those who are his own, to those who will put their faith and trust in him. And God's people from all over the world will be blessed by his coming. And so as they disappear, I'm sure I would have loved to hear the shepherd's conversations. But one of the things that I, that they obviously talked about, and it was clear to them that they needed to find this baby. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. We had the angelic messengers from heaven proclaiming Christ's birth. And now we're going to have the common people, the everyday men and women, Proclaiming his birth as well. But in order to do that, they have to decide what they're going to do with the message. And they have to obey and confirm what they have heard. And so they waste no time in doing so. And so they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph 
and the babe in that sign, just as the angel said, lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they could confirm it with their own eyes. And they went out and spread it and proclaimed it all across their community, all over the country. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Shepherds proclaim to this community what they've seen and heard. And isn't that the proper response, folks, to, man, to God's revelation to man? We don't just keep it to ourselves. These men could have walked away and just thought further. Well, we better get back to the sheep. They're going to need to be tended. They could have kept it to themselves, but no, they proclaimed it to their community, to their world, to the people that they knew. And when people heard this, it made them wonder in awe. It made them contemplate what is going on. Mary, most of all, contemplated these things. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary is thinking these things over. Still, the, the wonder of the appearance of the angel to her, the fact that she has just given birth to this son, who she's been told is a Messiah, and these shepherds come and say that they've seen angels. She didn't see those angels, but they tell her what, she, what they have seen, and they come and talk to her, and she is meditating and contemplating. She knows these are important things, that God's revelation is important, and she's thinking on what to do and how to react to this. But in the midst of all this, folks, God has brought joy and gladness to common people, to everyday people. And what is their response? Shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen that was told unto them, thanksgiving and praise to what he has revealed to them. So as we finish today, the birth of the Savior. Are you convinced? I hope so. I think you already were. It was a real event within the real, actual timeline of world history. And it had the most important implications for any event that had ever taken place in world history. The birth of this little baby would be the greatest event. Well, then would come his death, which would be even more impactful and significant for us than has ever taken place more significant than any war more significant than any historical figure in ancient or modern times this little baby was more significant than all of that and that's why we still celebrate it today right the significance that the birth of the son of god has for us and folks just like with these everyday ordinary folks these shepherds and others that told their community about Jesus Christ, we need to do the same today. If it really has significance to us, we proclaim it today as God's people. And we think, we meditate more on it, like Mary did. We don't, we don't get so distracted throughout all the things that we have to do today, and even in this next week, that we don't take time to really think through and marvel at all that God has done. Mary contemplated and marveled over what he was doing. She didn't have even nearly the full understanding that we have today. We need to take time to meditate on that too. And praise God then for sending his son to die that we might live.
Father, thank you for this wonderful story. Most significant story throughout all of history. <clears throat> Jesus would be a baby and would come to die for us. And then would be raised from the dead. All of this so that we could have new life. Father, we look forward to experiencing that second advent, that second coming. And if it were to come today, we would rejoice. But in the meantime, help us to marvel at this scene. Again, the God of the universe, creator of the stars, the planets, the galaxies, became a little tiny baby, humbled himself to where he was wrapped up helpless in a dirty animal pen. We'll never fully comprehend the majesty or the, the, the great distinction of those two things. But the fact that Jesus was willing to do that for us, let that impact our hearts even this morning. And as we enjoy the rest of Christmas and what it brings for us today and throughout this next week, time of family, good food, presents, let the significance of the birth of our Savior motivate and drive us to proclaim it and to meditate on it further in marvel and praise you most of all for what you've done. Father, we offer up this service now as it ends to you and praise to you for sending us to Savior. We are grateful and thankful for these wonderful things that you have done. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.